How are you this morning? How's everybody doing? Join me in thanking our band one more time, if you would, please. They do a phenomenal job for us every week. And I've, I've said this before, but they are so good. Sometimes I feel like I have rhythm, that, and which is no small task. That's, that's impressive. Man, it is great, great to be with you today because something big is happening. I mean, I mean, something big is going on amongst us. There, there's something in the air around here. And, you know, I, I don't want to oversell it. I'm not telling you that, that we achieved peace in the Middle East this past week. You know, if you're paying attention to preseason presidential politics, well, <laughs> have fun. There, there's, there's a lot going on. But for all of these pesky, persistent, perplexing problems in the world... This past week, the human race did take at least one monster step forward. I mean a monster step forward. That monster step is this. College football is back. And we're excited about that. That's a good thing, right? It's kind of squishy. That's so weird that we would get footballs from New England. But anyway... I'm kidding. It's, a, it's an observation, not a judgment call. I have no idea how that happened. But anyway, <clears throat> college football is back with a vengeance. And one of the things that I love about college football, especially this time of year, really before this weekend and this week kicked off, is that every single team in the country before yesterday enters the season with hope. Everybody starts the season, and man, teams from coast to coast and sea to shining sea believe this is our year. And yet, every single team that enters the season with hope has to determine how they are going to achieve success. How are they going to put marks in the W column? Because every team has a unique identity. Some teams are kind of ground and pound running teams, and they're just going to run it at you and run it at you and run it at you, and they're going to throw as an absolute last resort, while other teams are kind of like that, that spread offense. Man, they, they, you never know where the receivers are going from one place to the next, and it's just game on. And then they're the, the, the spread offense like Chip Kelly, spread offense on acid kind of team identities, and, and other teams are more like defense is what wins you championships. So we're just going to ask our quarterback, please don't lose the game. Just manage the game for us. And every team has an identity. Every team has a, a character and, and a personality. And it's out of that team's identity that they develop game day strategies. Team identity determines team strategy. Everywhere you go across the country and football teams across everywhere. That's just, that's just how it is. Well, the church is a team. Webster's Dictionary defines a team as a group of people competing against other groups of people in a game, sporting contest, etc. Or a group of people united for a common cause. That sounds to me like what the church ought to be all about. And so as a church... As the church, we ought to have a clear understanding of our identity, of who we are in the name of Jesus, who we are and what we are to do in partnership with him as an expression of our identity. We've all got this individually and collectively as a group. And that's why as a church, 
We're doing this series for the next few weeks called Game Plan to make sure that we understand as the Lake Hills Church family what it is that we are all about. How do we go about fulfilling the vision that God has called us to, that he's placed before us deep down in our soul and deep down in our bones? How do we go about measuring our effectiveness? How do we determine wins and losses? What is it that we are actually all about? And that's what game plan is all about. Our our game plan and identity as a church is given to us by our head coach. Jesus explained the identity of the church and, by the way, gave us a strategy, a set of X's and O's for us to execute against so that we would partner with him in literally changing the world one life at a time. If you've got your Bible, I want you to look at Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, this is Jesus' final team meeting with his closest team, the, the apostles. For those of you who, who maybe don't aren't familiar with the story, this is 40 days after Jesus' resurrection. He has appeared to over 500 eyewitnesses during that 40 days. And he has told them, go meet me on a hillside in Galilee, and I will come to you there. What they don't understand is that this is immediately before he's getting ready to return to heaven. He is no longer going to be with them on the field of play, but he has one last team meeting with them. And this team meeting is largely referred to as the Great Commission. It's a commissioning service. You could say that this is actually a pregame pep talk. I wonder how many of you ever or maybe are have ever participated in in team sports or in any way shape or form. If you were, I don't know, basketball, football, gymnastics, baseball, whatever. You know, right before you go onto the field of competition or on the court, the coach will usually gather the team together and kind of have like a a final charge and kind of like, "Remember, this is what we're going to do. These are our keys to victory. This is what we're all about." This is exactly what Jesus is doing with those 11 apostles. Some of you may be thinking, I thought there were 12. There were. Judas has killed himself, and they haven't yet replaced him from the night that he betrayed Jesus. So in this team gathering, there are 11 players on the field. And there's a fascinating verse that I have to be honest with you, I have missed for the vast majority of my life. I've kind of always skated past the verses right up to the Great Commission and gone at the Great Commission, but there's one verse in particular that I think bears some examination and just make sure that we don't miss it. The the Great Commission starts in verse 18, but I want to read to you verse 17 very, very quickly. Look at what it says. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But, say but. but. But some of them doubted. I don't know how I missed that all these years. You understand that when the apostles saw Jesus coming after he has risen from the dead, after he's been with them for 40 days and 40 nights since his resurrection, you understand that their first response is worship. They they know now that this is the Son of God. This is the one who defeated death and subdued sin for anyone who would choose to respond to his grace initiative. And so worship makes sense at this point, but I love that the Bible goes to the trouble to include that last little phrase, but some doubted. That is awesome. You know, if you think that you have to have it all figured out and understand and believe everything that's in the Bible before you can 
come to Jesus, before you can truly worship him as the Lord that he is, you're not reading the same Bible. It's okay to worship Jesus and still have some doubts. It's okay to come to him and encounter him and still not be sure about everything because by definition, that's what faith is. If you have faith with no doubts, you don't have faith. You've got certainty. I mean, we, we know that 2 plus 2 equals 4, right? Put those two together. 1, 2, 3, 4. It's not faith that tells me 2 plus 2 equals 4, unless you're a philosophy professor and you like to deconstruct stuff. But that, that's just a reality. We, we would all agree that just is. But every single relationship in the world requires faith. By definition, there, there's, there's some doubt. There, there's some uncertainty. And it's where that uncertainty is that mystery and beauty and all of the things that make relationship awesome actually reside so that they augment, they support and strengthen the facts of the relationship. And I love that the Bible puts that in here. So, so right off the bat, you see this team meeting happening and there's worship, but then there's also some doubt. And apparently that's okay. Apparently it's all right for us to bring our doubts to Jesus. But I want you to look at how Jesus kicks this team meeting off. Look at what he says, verse 18. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Whoa, what an incredible, incredible promise from Jesus himself. He says, all authority has been vested in him. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. And as the author, he has authority. You see what he did there? Authority and authorship go together. And he says, because he has authority, this is your charge. This is what you are to do. Go and make disciples of all nations. What he's telling us, church, is what our identity is. He's saying, you, as a follower of Christ, you're a disciple you're a disciple. Now, the word disciple is a great church word. I know some of you are nodding knowingly. Oh, amen. You just preached that word there, brother. Yes. Amen. Disciple. Yes. Disciple. Yes. Yes. There it is. Disciple. Yeah. Some of you just like get a little twitchy. I mean, you get just fired up. But understand what a disciple is. It's really very simple. A disciple is a follower. A disciple is one who follows the teacher, the rabbi. And this is our identity. If you are a Christ follower, you are a disciple of Jesus. You follow where he leads. This is our identity. And so it's out of our identity as disciples that he lays out for us our game plan, our, our strategy, our X's and O's. I like to call it our strategery as the church, as a local church. Our X's and O's. What are we doing? We are going everywhere you go. It doesn't mean that you have to pack up and head for Guam or, or the Philippines this afternoon, per se. It just means 
as you are going about your business, you are about the business of making disciples everywhere you go. Everything you do is a reflection of the one you claim to follow. If you're a disciple of Jesus, this is what you do. It's not reserved for the professionals. It's not kind of left over here for those people who have studied some classes and know everything. This is all of us. Tell your neighbor right now with passion and enthusiasm, you're a disciple. Now, tell them this, you're a discipler. That was terrible. I love you too much to lie to you. Tell them now like you mean it. You're a discipler. So this is our strategy. This is our, our X's and O's, what we're supposed to be all about. Now, it's true for every Christ follower, the church at large. And it's true for this church. We are a particular local expression of the global body of Christ. And here's the beautiful thing about God's creative genius. God raises up different churches for different purposes. And that is a God great thing. That's awesome. We're not called to be just another collection of nice people. Oh, yes, amen. Where are you going? What, Lubies? What do you want to do afterwards? No, 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 no. God has placed a specific burden, a specific burning vision in the heart of Lake Hills Church. You may not be aware of this, but today is exactly 18 years worth of Sundays since our very first meeting at Forest Trail Elementary School in the cafetorium with the paper mache Chinese New Year dragon hanging from the ceiling. 18 years. And I am thrilled to announce to you that what was true 18 years ago is true today. The reason we exist is to grow the community of Christ one life at a time. That's who we are. That's what we do. Now, within that, God's also given us a vision and a burning to, to redefine church for the city of Austin and beyond, to show people what the church can be, what it ought to be, what it looks like when a group of people, a team of people are united together around a common vision and going after it with everything they have. And so this morning, I want us to kind of make sure as we launch into this new season of ministry as a church that we're all on the same page and that we have a clear vision of who we are and therefore what we are all about and what we do as a church family. And to get at this, we're going to look in Luke chapter 19. Luke 19 is a fascinating passage of scripture. In Luke chapter 19, the physician, Dr. Luke, records another one of Jesus's very, very unlikely encounters. If you look at the life of Jesus, he was always having these meetings and these encounters with people that you never would have expected him to, with people that you never would have put on his agenda if you had been his chief of staff. But in Luke chapter 19, the Bible introduces us to a man by the name of Zacchaeus. And the story of Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus is a great paradigm for us as a church family. In Luke chapter 19, we, we learn about Zacchaeus three things before we ever hear a word recorded out of his mouth. The first thing that we learn about Zacchaeus is that he was a chief tax collector. 
He was one of the people who worked for the Roman Empire collecting taxes in this area of Judea. So he was responsible for collecting taxes from Jews for Rome. The second thing that we learn about Zacchaeus is flows out of the first one because he was a chief tax collector. He was wealthy. Zacchaeus was loaded, man. I mean, he had it going on. And then third, we learned that Zacchaeus was short. He was vertically challenged, stature-wise. He was just one of these guys. He wasn't real tall. He was quick, but he wasn't very tall. And there's, there's another thing that I think we can infer from the text. When, when you learn that Zacchaeus was a tax collector, when you learn that most Bible scholars believe he was Jewish by birth, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Zacchaeus was hated. He was not a popular guy. See, because he was a Jewish tax collector working for Rome, he would have been viewed as a traitor to his people. And it was just understood in those days that the system was set up for corruption because tax collectors regularly charged the citizens more than they actually owed the empire so that they could then pocket the difference. So Zacchaeus was not popular at all. And Zacchaeus got word that Jesus was coming through his area. And seeing a large crowd of people gathered around Jesus as they were approaching his area, Zacchaeus was a smart dude. He figured out, he goes, I'm not going to be able to see what's going on. So he scampered up a tree to see Jesus as he got there. And this is how Jesus started this encounter with Zacchaeus. Watch this. Luke 19, verses 5 and 6. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus! He said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. Isn't that amazing? Think about this. Of all the people for Jesus to single out of the crowd, here was this hated, resented, despised little short guy who had climbed up a sycamore tree and Jesus says Z my boy come here he says quick what Jesus was doing in laying out for us X's and O's it is showing us by example that we are to extend grace urgently extend grace urgently you know, the longer you are around as a Christ follower, the easier it becomes to lose that sense of urgency. But Jesus looked in the eyes of Zacchaeus and he saw somebody who needed his grace. And he said, quick, come here, Zacchaeus. Man, I want, I want, let's, let's break bread, man. Let's, let's go to Starbucks. You and me, I just want to chat. Let's hang a little bit. And what's amazing is Zacchaeus responded with joy and excitement. You know what I've noticed about myself? A lot of times I hold back inviting somebody to experience the grace of Jesus Christ. I will kind of like play it safe. Sometimes I, I do, and I'm like, I don't want to offend them. I, I don't want to embarrass them, or maybe they'll think, I'm, you know, I'm a preacher. Well, I have to do that. No, no, no. Jesus extended that grace urgently. He was neither dillying nor dallying. He wasn't waiting for all of the planets to line up. And then he knew every question that would be asked and he could answer it. No, no, he just said, hey, I want you to know some grace. I want you to experience, to taste 
and see that God is good. And that has to happen with some urgency. Now, as a church, we have to be that kind of people. We, we can't be sitting back on our haunches, resting on our own religious laurels. Well, you know, if, if the church staff will invite somebody, maybe they could hear about No, 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 no. You and I, as the church, the body of Christ, have to extend grace urgently. And the reason that we have to do that is because we believe the Bible. We believe what the Bible says. And this is what the Bible says in Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, the Bible says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We believe that, baby. Lock, stock, and barrel. The wages of sin is death. The payoff for sin is death. Eternal separation from the God who created you by name and loves you as is. That's, that's the payoff. That's the compensation. But the free gift of God, the grace, is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And if you really believe that this is a life and death situation then you really believe that the stakes are too high to play it safe. You really believe that this requires some urgency. And so I want to ask everybody, if you will, take out your program. I want, to ask you, I want you to write down five words that explain how we do this as a church. I want to make sure that this is in our spiritual DNA, that, that we get this. The first way that we do this is on game day, Sunday. We captivate people's attention, people's hearts and minds. We're going to use felt needs. We're, we're going to use sermon series. We're going to do some creative stuff with you know, football fields and other things coming up in an effort to captivate people's minds, to, to start with where they are in their lives, the things that they're wrestling with, the things that they struggle with, the questions that they have. We want to captivate people's minds. And, and not just on Sunday morning. We're going to captivate people's minds through Fearless mom, fearless family, spur leadership, mobile loaves and fishes that you just heard about. We, we're going to captivate people just by serving them, by giving something they can use in the hopes that we can give them the greatest gift of all, this free gift of grace through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Remember, our identity, we're disciples, we're followers. And so we, we want to captivate Second of all, we also want to educate. We're going to teach, we're going to preach the Word of God, the whole counsel of Scripture without compromise, but with clarity and, and hopefully some creativity and some compassion along the way. We want to educate people. The third thing that we want to do as a church is to demonstrate the superiority of God-first living. And I mean that with all humility and all sincerity. There is no better way to live life than in a God-first relationship with Christ. It's the best answer there is. So let's demonstrate that. When you go to work tomorrow, how do you talk about your spouse? How, how, do, you, how do you refer to him or to her? If you're at school tomorrow, how, how, or Tuesday when you go back after Labor Day, 
How do you talk about your parents? Are you talking about the ways that you lied to them and got away with stuff this weekend? Or are you demonstrating the superiority of a God-first life? The fourth thing that I want to mention to you is something I'm going to touch on in a couple of weeks a lot. Okay, And when I say I'm going to touch on it, I mean we're going to hammer it into the ground. But the fourth thing is we elevate the next generation. From the very beginnings of Lake Hills Church, we have been a church committed to the next generation. The first Sunday we ever had worship, we did community worship and children's ministry. That was it. The children's ministry that day, I'm pretty sure, consisted of Emily and Joseph Richard. But we have been committed since day one to elevating the next generation. And as a church, we have the tools and the resources in terms of leadership in Pastor Dan Underhill, in Pastor Jack Bailey and their teams and what they're doing to raise up a generation of leaders and not a generation of followers. And we are serious about that. And we're about to get a lot more serious about it. But that's who we are and that's where we're going. It's going to be unbelievable. Here's what we are. We are a church of all generations committed to reaching the next generation. This is central to our heartbeat. This is central to who we are as a church. And so that means from time to time we're going to do stuff on Sunday morning that makes us old folks kind of like, I don't know about that music. I don't know about that song. We're, I didn't even know that was on iTunes. That's fine. You can just know, number one, we're going to stay biblical. And number two, we are going to use whatever tools necessary to reach the next generation. We're going to commu communicate the timeless, changeless message of Jesus with timely, ever-changing methods. And we're committed to that. But then there's one more thing that I want to tell you about this sense of urgency. We're going to celebrate it. We're going to celebrate what God does. I believe with everything I have that especially in religious circles, fun is grossly underrated. Somebody help me preach. I think if marriages were more fun, there'd be fewer divorces. I think if churches were more fun, there'd be more people actively participating in what God's doing through his church. So we're going to celebrate. We're going to have fun around here. It's not going to be the reason we get up, but we're going to have fun along the way. We're committed to that. So we have to extend grace urgently. Now, most of us will look at that and man, man, yeah, you get them. You preach that. Extend that grace. Look at what Jesus did. Zacchaeus, come down out of the tree quickly. Scamper down here. You get it, boy. Here we go. But real quick, can I, can I just show you something that was going on while Jesus was extending this grace with urgency and, and with, with such abandon? Look at what happened. Luke 19, 7. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Is that pitiful? Tell your neighbor right now, that's pitiful. You know how, how often that's going to happen? If you get serious about extending grace urgently and with abandon, you can just know there are going to be people who grumble. They're going to grumble about you. They're going to grumble about your church. You need to understand, that's just fine. They did it to Jesus. And if they did it to Jesus, it's okay if they do it to us. But we are not going to be distracted. You've got to know when you extend that grace. We're still in the X's and O's, right? When you extend that grace urgently, you can expect discomfort frequently. 
you can expect some discomfort with great frequency. It's going to happen. You, you can never extend grace and remain comfortable. You can't do it. So when you do it, when you choose to decide, you know what? This is a life and death issue. The stakes are too high to play it safe. Just know there's going to be some discomfort that comes along with that. It's going to happen. But I love that Jesus doesn't even address the grumbling. He, he, doesn't, even, he doesn't even give it the time of day. And he moves on from the X's into the O's, and, and, he, and he does something really, really fascinating. Check this out. Luke 19, 8 through 9. Meanwhile, while all the grumbling was going on, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord, and he said, I'll give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. In the original Greek, it says cha-ching. It's weird. Verse 9, Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Is that unbelievable? So while all the grumbling is going on over here, Jesus makes a point to observe life change regularly. Jesus makes it a point to say, hey, this is a teachable moment. Make sure you don't miss this. Salvation's come to this house. This is what it's all about. This man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. This man that you all have resented, this man that you're grumbling against, this man that you've decided I don't have any spiritual judgment because I came to eat with, this guy is now one of me. This guy's on the team. He's one of us. So you observe that regularly. When we show videos of people's stories and, and the difference Jesus is making in their lives, you go, man, that's what it's all about. That, that's, that's why I volunteer in the children's ministry. And that's why I, I, let, I gave them my social security number to get background checks so that I, I could be clear to, to look over their kids and let them come into a worship service where they encounter Jesus personally and really and dynamically. That's why I'm, I'm standing out in the parking lot when it's 107 on black asphalt. I, I'm out there so that one more person can feel welcome, not just when they talk to somebody by chance in the lobby or in the service, but the second they drive on this campus. That the presence of God doesn't just start when the band starts. And so we observe that and we go, that's why I pray for this church. That's why I pray for the pastor that's why i pray for the leaders that that's that's why i tithe it, it's because of life change and that happens all of these things flowing together but jesus takes just this this moment of of observing life change and then he expands it out and he describes his personal game plan his personal x's and o's look at what he says luke 19 10 for the son of man jesus came to seek and save those who are lost bottom line jesus's game plan Disciple, disciple, follower, 
follower, follower, follower, follower, follower, follower, follower, follower. If the heart and soul of Jesus is to seek and to save those who are lost, it kind of feels like those of us who say we're following Jesus ought to be doing the exact same thing. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, if you've been around our church for any amount of time at all, you know I love to fish. I do. I love it. Bass, bluegill, catfish, bonefish, tarpon. If it's got scales and fins, I love to chase it. And, and I know I, I've talked to a lot of people in my life who, who don't like to fish. I know there are a lot of people who don't like to bait their own hook. They don't want to touch it. It's slimy and smelly. I understand that. Some women, too. But I understand, but, but there's, there's something I've noticed. I've never talked to anyone. I've never locked eyes with anyone who was handed an already baited line, who had a fish take that hook and swim it, and they felt that fish pull on the line, and they've reeled, and they've pulled, and they've reeled. And they fight, and they reel, and it comes in, and it's a guppy. <laughs> I've never met the person who doesn't love to catch a fish. I've never met or heard about a Christian, a follower of Jesus, who doesn't thrill to catching fish for Jesus. Who doesn't love to see somebody that they've prayed for by name. Somebody that they have invested in in conversations and coffee and time and prayer. Maybe just show up at church one time. Or, or maybe over a conversation with coffee. Say, Man, tell, tell me about this Jesus thing. You, you're one of those Jesus people, aren't you? Tell, I've never locked eyes with anybody who is a follower of Jesus who isn't completely, 100% charged to do that. Because that's what a real follower looks like. And so when we hand out invitation cards and we ask you to invite your friends, you don't look at that and go, oh my goodness, there's a burden. I've got to take one because the guy's next to me is looking. But I'm, I'm not doing You don't look at it that way. You look at that card and you see a face. You, you see a name that you've prayed for. Somebody that, that you work with or you go to school with or somebody that lives down the street from you that you know does not yet know the extravagant lengths to which Jesus Christ went to enter into a relationship with them and to give them the free gift of grace. And so all of a sudden, that invitation piece, what God does through Lake Hills Church, that's something that you want to extend with urgency. You're like, man, turn me loose. Quit preaching. I got to go. Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 15. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Any questions? I mean, I feel like that's pretty, that's pretty all-encompassing, isn't it? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? 
And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. I don't know where you are today. I don't know where you come from. But I do know this. Every single one of us has ugly feet. Your feet are ugly. I don't care who you are. But when you bring good news, when you step outside of your comfort zone and decide that it's not all about you, all of a sudden, even your feet are beautiful. People see you coming and say, here comes sweet feet. (laughs) Because you're bringing good news. (laughs) You're, you're You're bringing life when they're facing death. You're bringing hope when they're living in fear. And that's a beautiful thing. This is our Jesus. This is who we follow. This is what we do. This is our game plan. These are our X's and O's. We got a game to play. We got a game to play. I want to ask you to bow your heads. And as you do, I want you to understand that you and I as a church family, as a team, are on holy ground. Some of us in this room have stepped over that line of faith. We've we've stepped over from death into life. We're not perfect. We're doing the best we can with what we've got to work with. But there are others of us here today who maybe have never personally and definitively responded to Jesus' grace initiative. And so if you want to have a relationship with God, I'm not talking about religion. The gospel's about a relationship. you want to begin and step into that relationship today, then we want to extend to you that grace urgently. I want to invite you just to pray right where you're sitting. I want to invite you also just to remove every distraction. Ignore anything else going on just but what God is speaking into your heart, your your mind and your spirit right now. And you just Pray a prayer of beginning, of relationship. Just just talk to Jesus silently right where you're sitting. Just say, Jesus, I get it. I need this free gift. Jesus, I need you. And so I'm responding. I accept your invitation to relationship. I confess my sin to you once and for all. I claim your forgiveness. Jesus, I want to be your disciple. I want to be somebody who follows you from this moment forward. I confess my sin. And I claim your forgiveness. 
in Jesus' name. For just a moment more, I want you to know that this is a holy moment. It's holy for individual people. It's holy for us as a church family. And so I want to ask you to remain in a spirit of prayer. But if that was your personal prayer right then, and you just prayed that prayer of commitment, of beginning a relationship with Jesus, this is the greatest moment of your life. And so for you in particular, I want to just ask you, before you leave today, if you would just make that moment stick. Just, just by doing a couple of things. Number one, I want to ask you, if you will take the program that you got when you came in today, and there's a connect card. It says connect, grow, and serve there in your program, and you'll notice it's perforated. And just fill that card out. And where it says, I'm committing my life to Christ today, just mark that box. Your name, your contact info, because as a church, we want to be your team. We want to be a family of faith to you. We're not perfect by any stretch, but we want to be a safe place for you. We'd like to help. We also believe that in the power of God's Holy Spirit, you can help us. And so if you would just make just a brief connection, fill that card out and then hand it to one of our ushers or somebody with a blue LHC t-shirt on, or you can hand it to somebody out underneath the canopy on your way out, the, the blue one out there that says LHC on it. Just make that personal connection. That's what the church is. And just know that as a church family, there's nothing more important to us than that moment in your life. And we want to help. We want to help you become a disciple, a follower. And so I also want to ask you if you would just, just mark this moment as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if you would just quietly but unmistakably raise your hand if, that, if you just prayed to step into a relationship with Christ just raise your hand up high over your head and hold it there as you mark the most important moment of your life and know that we love you we honor this moment as you put your hands down we celebrate this moment tell you welcome home welcome home